0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to this podcast. My name is Beth Fisher Yoshida. I am a professor of practice and the program director of the Master of Negotiation and Conflict Resolution at Columbia University. I also do coaching and consulting, especially on the topic of women and negotiation. And I have a new book coming out, which is called New Story, New Power, A Woman's Guide to Negotiation. I'm very excited to have as my guest today, Gayatri Shanai. Gayatri is a partner at McKinsey & Company in the New York office, and one of her main areas of specialization is on digital transformation, but I'm not doing justice to the wonderful career that Gayatri has, so I'm going to ask her to introduce herself more fully. So Gayatri. Thanks, Beth, and great to be in conversation here today with you.
1: Uh, like I said, I'm a partner at McKinsey. I spend all my time uh, working on digital and technology transformations with clients. And I've been doing this for the last 20 plus years. Uh, started out as an IT consultant focused on technology issues and problems, uh, but then branched out um, uh, after an MBA at uh, joint McKinsey and Company where I've been Uh, For the last 14 plus years, working across a wide sector uh, and section of uh, clients, advising them, counseling them, but also more importantly, uh, building uh, practices and foundations to help them succeed in their digital transformations. And a pleasure today to be in
0: conversation with you. Wow, that's so super. So uh, I'm just gonna ask you a couple of questions, mostly about your career, about negotiation and so on. And I can imagine that just by you describing the kinds of work that you do with clients, that negotiation is really critical and really key because I understand how people engage with digital transformations and so on and their tech needs. So maybe we can just go back a little bit. And so in your general uh, career, what do you find are some of your biggest needs when it comes to negotiation?
1: It's a it's a great question, and I do see negotiation all the time, right? Like so, whether whether it's uh, negotiating with my eight year old niece who wants to uh, watch another five minutes of TV, or it's uh, negotiating with my fourteen year old uh, nephew who feels deprived, who believes he's deprived uh, of his uh, of, of the most fundamental uh, pleasures of life if we take his iPad away as a for, for even a bit. So this whole uh, concept of negotiation to me is really about how do you advocate? How do you nudge? How do you influence others? How do you get others to see the problem as, as you see it from, from your point of view or from the vantage point that you may have? How do you see them, get them to see the analysis and the solution? Um, how do you see them uh, and bring them along uh, on a transformation journey when it comes to digital transformations? Or how are you as a manager pounding the table for the advancement of someone who you d- you believe is deeply talented and has uh, the expertise and the experience to be at the next level? So all of these examples that I'm giving, we use different words to describe them, but to me, they are a fundamental um practice of negotiating for what you believe in, for what you see, and to get others to see it from from the same point of view.
0: Yeah, I love the different words that you use, right? You use advocate, nudge, influence as some of them. And I'm thinking each of them has their own kind of little nuance, right? Advocate seems to be a little bit stronger. Nudge is like they're almost there, but you just want to push them a little bit there. And influence also could be small or big, you talked about point of view and perspective taking, which is also interesting because we come in with different perspectives, perceived different perspectives. And then in the course of the negotiation, we get to see what is common ground, what is different and so on. So I'm curious then what are some of the things that you do that help you prepare for engaging in a negotiation, big or small at home with your niece and nephew or in the workplace?
1: Well, I, I will say I haven't learned how to negotiate with my nieces and nephews at this point. I uh, it, it, It's a whole new skill I need to build. But maybe uh, on, on the professional front, right, like, uh, so just to take a step back, sure. um, McKinsey did uh, and has been over the last eight years doing research on women in the workplace. It's a study that we conduct with leanin.org. And the reason I bring that in right now is to answer your question on um, being successful and doing it right in the workplace. I do think there is a a gender component, there's an immigrant component, there's an intersectionality component of being an Asian or a South Asian alongside being a woman um, and an immigrant that is at play. And every one of us will have a different part of that, right? So uh, for me, it's uh, uh, it's being a woman in the workplace, uh, in in a leadership role, in a technology um, uh, uh, technology and digital part of the world where women are underrepresented. Uh, in uh, being an immigrant and a, and a South Asian, all of those intersectionalities play a unique role in who I am and how I'm perceived, in uh, uh, in getting into a, a a role where I'm advocating or negotiating or influencing or convincing. Um, and the, this research um, basically sh- uh, shined the torch on a few things when, when it came to women. So first thing, it, first thing it highlighted was that women were doing their part when it came to negotiating. The, for, uh, for 30 plus years, we've seen uh, women in North America earning more bachelor degrees than men, uh, which, which is great to see. Now, at the same time, we also saw data that they are asking for promotions and negotiating salaries at the same rates as women as men. But then when we see at promotion rates and uh, you know, study the funnel of how women are doing when it came to senior level roles, we are seeing that women are not necessarily getting promoted at the same rates as, as men. Uh, and so, if women are negotiating and asking for it at the same same frequency that we are seeing men do, but they're not being as successful, uh, that does lead to questions around why not, or uh, and you know what what makes for success. Um, so the, the the reason and the context in which I share that is then uh, it gets us to the more informal networks in some way that is needed for for, uh, success in negotiations, but also some biases that we see, right? Like when women, for example, negotiate for themselves, I think more often than not, you do see people using words that they are seen as aggressive or they're seen as bossy or they're seen as Self-advocating for themselves—that is not appreciated in the in the broader construct of the social network that we that we live and work in. Um, so that I uh, that that research and that findings to me are uh, important basis of how I have learned uh, to operate and uh, in some way um, uh, be you know like uh, be agile and um uh move or move in how I negotiate. so my uh three three part recipe is really number one is focusing on purpose so why why am I choosing to uh fight this battle or you know jump into this problem solving or wh- why do I care about showing the client what I think he needs to he or she needs to see? and that focus on purpose. Uh, helps me personally um, make the cause um, broader than, bigger than wanting to win an argument or a fight or a prove myself or anything about, you know, self to making it a, about a larger cause and then seeing myself as that agent of change, agent of wanting to make that larger cause happen. Uh, and this is a framing thing, right? Like it's it's more in your head that I, uh, or in my head that I'm framing Uh, the purpose of why I I need to participate and partake in this negotiation um, and what's what's at stake or what's the lost uh, value if I did not. Uh, And that almost always empowers me and makes me uh, get the confidence of wanting to be at the negotiating table for way longer than I would otherwise be. So that's number one. The second one uh, is preparation. So ensuring that I'm prepared in terms of analysis, in terms of facts, in terms of being objective, in terms of ensuring that I I come to it with the appreciation for where my stakeholders might come to it with. Um, And so seeing points of views from from others even before that, that is highlighted helps me think Think ahead of where uh, where the play would go and um, wh- where I would want you know the answer to be. Um, it, it, it's a it's a good way to play through the scenarios and think through the counter counter and the uh, uh, multiple plays that would happen. And then the third one, which probably is one of the most important ones for me, has been about finding someone to do it with so finding an advocate who would do it with me uh, who's that champion who's that sponsor who's that um, mentor who's that friend who's that village tribe city whatever word i, I could use uh, to describe it, it sometimes it's a person it sometimes is a group of people sometimes is a uh, larger set of people uh, but it's almost always finding who that uh, that group is who um, would champion it with me uh, and, and that makes it more fun as well as much more easier
0: yeah and so just a quick question on that last point are these people who go into the negotiation with you or help you in your preparation or or both
1: uh, both at times it's people who help me think it through and I would call, call them a coach uh, multiple such scenarios where uh, I've run, I feel like I've run into a wall But then talking it through with someone who's had similar experiences and or uh, may look at it from a different point of view than I've been able to look, that benefit is helpful in the preparation. But then uh, in entering the negotiation, who do I want to take with me? That's almost every client conversation I'm thinking about, who's the right person for the client to meet? Um, uh, And in a way, it's also broadening their from from when I think about it from a client perspective, it's broadening their exposure to a wider set of colleagues. Could be inside the, could be inside McKinsey, but also could be other clients of mine, or could be other people that getting to know them will give them will give this client of mine the benefit of seeing it from a different angle. So thinking all of that through is part negotiation and then part preparation in my mind.
0: Yeah, that's great. I love, Gayatri, how you talked about earlier on that you're not just this one person who's a woman. You have so many facets of your personas, right? Uh, Different personas and bring different things. So you know that about yourself because from what you're talking about, you have a deeper level of self-awareness and how these different aspects of of you influence the stance you take and how you enter into it. But also the sensitivity that other people, as soon as you open the door of the room and walk in, or as soon as they see your name, they're already forming preconceived ideas about who you are and how you're going to show up at the negotiating table. The other thing that's interesting is you did mention some research and another aspect is about status, right? So Do women assign status to themselves or is a status assigned to them? So uh, the research does show mixed results, but in general, there's less backlash if a status is assigned to you rather than you sort of taking it up on your own, right? Because you're questioning like, who are you to take this, to claim this status? But the fact that you work for a very well-known management consulting firm, then as soon as you show that you're of that firm people already should have a preconceived notion of, okay she's probably competent she's probably smart let's see what happens now i also know that there over the years are clients who don't respect all the all the uh, consultants who show up because they want a certain kind of person coming in so that's another thing to deal with but you also mentioned the intersectionality and the immigrant status and that's an interesting part too how is that shaped how you think about who you are as a negotiator.
1: Yeah, so, you know, as you're describing this question, what's going through my mind is uh, some some stories and anecdotes. And uh, the couple I would share is uh, uh, very recently, maybe three, four months back, as we were all coming back to uh, going going back to work, um, I met a colleague who said, hey, remember me? And I was like, no. And he said, oh yeah, you do because we met on Zoom. And then I remembered because he was was standing way tall next to me (laughs) and I I couldn't dimensionalize his uh, his, uh, height. And the same was true for me. He couldn't dimensionalize how, uh, how tall or short I was standing next to him there. And he said he said something to the effect where he said you you look way bigger on Zoom than you are in person, and I, I said I'll take that as a compliment. But that goes to your point around you know like I I do think the hybrid world and the remote world has taken a little bit of that stature away from us because a bias in 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 stature has almost always been how old do you look how tall do you look how the word gravitas that right. um, many many use and is one of the one of those biases on uh, it's not intellect it's not experience it's not it, it's how you know like how big do you uh, and that does favor in my in my mind it does favor uh, a certain kind of a uh, um, a certain kind of a build and form that not everybody might be uh might might be blessed with um so that's one story another story from way back when i was uh i I was uh, more an associate and a consultant who used to uh, be on the project teams not be leading teams um was one where one of my clients felt um he He felt that he did not need this team. He so the team had been brought in from a very senior perspective to solve a management level problem. and this day to day working level client he uh, absolutely felt that he should have had a different team supporting him. but more importantly, he also felt that he um, could interrupt me every every single chance he had. Uh, and um, it, it became a bit contentious in how uh, you know getting even a factual point of view and getting him to see analysis. And so, in those situations, uh, being able to dig in and find uh, find the power and the need to stay at the negotiation table, uh, as hard as it can feel, becomes super important uh, to ensure that. You're doing it both for, you know, your, your, yourself, but you're also doing it for the broader good of uh, ensuring that the, organ- the client organization you're trying to help with um, can, can see and continue on a path that might be right for them.
0: Yeah. So I was going to ask you about some of your successes and challenges, and that sounds like one of the challenges. How do you claim your space in that environment? Like, how do you claim your power there? Because, you know, again, there are uh, statistics and research that show that there is an inclination to interrupt some people more than others. And that's like a power difference. So how do you reclaim your power and hold and stand your ground, so to speak? But I mean, unfortunately, it did get a little contentious, but how do you do that in a way that's subtle, but firm, you know, and that's that delicate balancing act that you have, because you also don't want to, have an argument with a client, right? You don't right. want to do that. You want to be able to manage that well. That's interesting. So then what are some of the things that you found are successful or, or the challenges that you've learned from? So where's, where's the growth opportunity there for you?
1: I, I think the biggest growth is a mindset shift of moving away from he doesn't want me or he doesn't like me or it's about me to moving to what's the opportunity of, helping him see the light here, or what's the opportunity for the organization uh, broader than him to, to be able to get to this problem solved, or what's the impact to, from a holistic perspective to society, if we could do this for this client, what does that mean in terms of the stakeholders they serve, customers, their customers, their vendors, the Uh, community that they they operate in and so making that to that has been my my personal biggest growth journey at McKinsey has been uh, being able to see that and arming myself with in some way it's a muscle building that muscle Mm -hmm. through the support of sponsors networks um, um, sponsors and uh, mentors in my network Uh, to be able to do that has been uh, the biggest, in some way, the biggest opportunity.
0: Yeah, so that is interesting because some of the research does show that women are more inclined to feel more comfortable advocating for others rather than themselves, but also the shift you had there in your little mini SWOT analysis, right, is that you say, well, it's not only about me, it's me representing maybe other groups or other women or whatever it is. But I'm really, and I'm not really about me and this other party, but it's about the whole client organization. So if you use your mindset to think about that shift, and I'm what I need to do is advocate for the client organization, then that does change what's happening there. So it is a much bigger thing and that mindset shift is important. I
1: agree. And you said this well, right? So it's in some way using your strengths to your advantage. So if research, and and this is great, that research shows that women do well when it is taking a broader view of the community or of the organization and broader than just themselves it's fairly easy then to say, okay, how do I, how do I leverage that? Uh, In a a way, it's a strength, because how many people can, can think about it that way?
0: That's right. You know, and you also said something about, uh, it's like, it's bigger than you. It's, It's also that if I can help this particular client, then that can also influence society. And in speaking with other women about this as well, some of them feel that, I have a responsibility for other women too, because if I don't advocate, if I don't stand up, if I don't demonstrate my competence, then first of all, what am I doing here anyway, right? In the negotiation. But if I don't, it just makes it harder for the next woman who comes along. So this client is learning, well, in in some level of consciousness or not, you know, well, women can show up and be really savvy about tech as well. I don't need to have a certain profile. Of a person that I can get good ideas from lots of different people, especially if your ideas are really helpful and they work, right? And then they the client benefits from them. That's great. Yeah. That's great.
1: Yeah, and I would agree, right? Like it's uh in 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 a huge way. Um again, I go back to our research findings, not much has changed in corporate America. We've talked a lot about uh more diversity and the need for less biases and all of that. Uh, And to some extent, I feel we've done a lot of lip service to it, but not actions. Uh, Mm -hmm. And when we look at outcomes, the outcomes still trail uh, where we need to be in a 21st century. So my my take then is, um, yes, as women, the more we can do, uh, do that for others and other women and other marginalized communities, and do that in a way that is a win-win for everybody, right? Like not just, not just women, but also like helps men as well, but disproportionately helps women. And the example here, I feel one of the biggest examples is of um, uh, policies and procedures like uh, like mat-, mat leave and uh, like paid family and medical leave that many states have started. These in a way, help everyone in the sense it helps men who need to go on paternity leave as well, but they do disproportionately help women um, in getting them the help they need at the right time such that they can come back and engage again in the workforce. So finding ways that we can find a win-win that uh, helps everybody, but then disproportionately helps women and helps marginalized communities to me is that secret sauce that will actually get many more to be successful.
0: Yeah. So you're in the STEM world, right? Science, technology, engineering, economics, mathematics, where uh, they say that women have been disadvantaged in that whole tech world, right? But there have been a lot of efforts you know, girls who code and other kinds of things, trying to build up that girls are good in math, even though we've been receiving messages for many years that boys are better in math, girls are good in math, they're good in science, technology, and so on. And then I spoke to somebody else who was saying that, you know, when you show up, it's like not the token woman and not just one other woman, but you need three, you need three women there to really give each other strength and support and to really make a difference, to really make a statement. So in your world, in that whole STEM tech space, what's your experience been in terms of gender or, or your um, immigration nationality, ethnic nationality status, like what's shown up for you in that space or what yeah, so are the challenges you face there?
1: I would agree with that statement, right? Like, so one is a token when you see a one individual you basically say ah maybe a maybe a role model but then you find 20 ways that you are different from that and why right. it may not be you so you don't really see yourself in that individual but when it is two or more i don't know if it's three but like i i do feel any more than one there is power in numbers because there is a bit of a multiplier effect And uh, my last 10 years at McKinsey has been about uh, finding and creating that for women in technology. Uh, So women who are leaders and CIOs, chief technology officers, chief digital officers, chief data officers, chief operating officers. I've focused on helping that community in North America find each other and create a bit of a support mechanism where again, it's that belief that I see you and because I see you can do X, I can do X. Or because I know you can do X, you can help coach me on how to do X better at my place where I've I've run ran against a wall. Uh, and this community now is about 100, 150 people. Uh, and it's a, uh, it's a community that feeds uh, goes from strength to strength and feeds on itself, helping each other fulfill their professional and personal goals and do it in a way that's unique to them. So super proud of that uh, community of women leaders. And they inspire me and I'm inspired by how many, many more will follow their footsteps because of who they are.
0: That's great. So it's really about taking the lateral, you know, the expression lonely at the top. So not only in gender, but just in a senior position anyway, you can't necessarily share concerns sometimes with other people in the same organization. So being able to jump outside of that to laterally to people in similar positions is really great. And I love the whole idea you were talking about Gayatri of it's really like a mentoring kind of a thing. It's like a shared mentoring of each other, but then you also learn. And then how do you provide for others? How do you pave that way? Because sometimes when you have a token, there has been, unfortunately, rivalry too. People say like, I, I want to be that token. So I'm not necessarily going to be supportive of somebody else of my same gender or, or ethnic background or something like that. But here is a different, a different feel and a different way that we do need to pay it forward. And we do need to pave the way for other people. So that's really nice. That's really beautiful. And, and the fact that you get inspired by it too. I, I do. And I do feel
1: it's time now. Now is the time for corporate America and for boards to pay attention to this and to ensure that it's not a token right it's not one uh, a, 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 and and finding finding the right balance and finding the right set of people who can help them have this multiplier effect will
0: uh, will be a key unlock yeah so you know you said something too about the presence or lack of presence of the or equity of presence of women in the higher ranks in the corporate world. And so I think in general, collectively, we're doing a better job at bringing in people, right? So the uh, recruiting efforts are strengthened, but something happens inside. And some people complain that the onus is on the woman to make her way and so on. But when you're making your way in an environment that's not supportive of that, or you said you didn't see yourself in a particular role model sometimes, what happens there? What do you think are some of the things that women need to negotiate better for? Or how do we engage allies to negotiate with or for us, which you did mention before about having champions and advocates too, to increase those numbers? So it's not just recruiting and then they peter out, but how can we help them rise up the ranks?
1: Yeah, and I I mean, it's a great question. And I don't know that there is a silver bullet answer because uh, there's a problem for the last uh, couple of decades, if not longer, that I have seen, in uh, I, I've seen us not move the needle on at all as a as a as a corporate America. Um, I do think there are a couple of structural things that can help. So one is, uh, you know, creating more transparency into what is that process that helps women from one level to another, and not just women. Again, these, this is one of those win wins where. even even as a man in the organization, I would love to know what what makes me get to the next level. What's the criteria? How does it work? What do I need to be able to demonstrate? What do I need to be able to prove? Who needs to help select all of that, right? So creating, creating, first of all, a structure that is meritocratic, that is objective, that is data-based and data-driven is gonna be a meaningful help to, to helping diverse candidates succeed. And then creating transparency. So one is, yes, the structure exists, but do I understand it? Do I follow it? Can I ask questions of, of that about that process of people? And are there enough people who can help me understand it? That's part two of that process. But that to me is the structure. Um, that's one. The second thing to me is creating the mentorship sponsorship networks that will help me see it because often, yes, the process exists, the transparency is there, but I need a little bit more than that, right? So who are, uh, and what I've learned again, having had seen so many mentorship sponsorship programs is do some some organizations have named mentors, like they will say, you come in now as a um, brand new intern, you get Beth as your mentor. I don't know that kind of a mentorship program necessarily works, you do need mentorship where there's some level of commonality as well as some intersectionality of something connects right like we find each other, for a reason, and uh, there's a connection and so helping uh, helping. Make that happen in your mentorship and sponsorship programs is gonna be also and is in my mind an equally important unlock for organizations. And um, I've I've seen programs like uh, the he for she program is a is a great one that uh, I've I've personally seen at McKinsey work really well where every male colleague adopts a woman colleague now they get to choose and same thing like it's not like they choose it's also the women choose who they want for them but finding that kind of uh, structures where every uh, human being in the organization feels empowered and privileged and uh, accountable for another individual's growth and journey uh, is going to be important for uh, for diverse talent uh, not just women but also diverse talent to Uh, stay and flourish in
0: the workforce. So, yeah, you mentioned an interesting point there is that uh, we talk a lot about leadership supporting different initiatives because if an organization says, okay, flavor of the day, flavor of the month, this is what the initiative, but there's no support or accountability, it usually falls flat on its face. It doesn't work. So I'm curious then, is that part of the evaluation process? Do people get evaluated on their collegiality or on their mentorship, on their networking, or something around the personal affect side of their work?
1: I, I, I would hope so, right? Like when I see all our organizations uh, in how they today uh, promote and help colleagues get to the next level, in most organizations, we did a piece of work with Girls in, Girls in Tech last year, la- uh, last March, we published a piece of research and uh, based on the 40 plus interviews that we did that we did largely with tech uh, tech uh, companies and or companies where women are in tech roles we found a large vast majority did not have even a structure around um, how they drove promotions it was most often manager advocated and so that to me is problematic because then there isn't a metric, there isn't a cl- clear clarity on what are some of the performance indicators or performance metrics or KPIs or call it, call it whatever that make a difference to getting promoted except for manager advocating. Um, and that that is a problem in, uh, in my, my opinion, that is a huge reason and a huge disadvantage for uh, for women.
0: Yeah, yeah, so it is interesting. So I think though it does take that multifaceted approach where women themselves have to have a different kind of a mindset, have to strengthen their skills, but they also need advocacy, they need mentorship, they need support, and then systemically, I think we just need to hold people accountable for what they're supposed to do because then, their strength, and then the initiatives really take off and really hold, and really advance people in the workplace, so that it really is a meritocracy, and anybody who's competent and capable can do that. That's great. So, any tips you have that you want to offer for either women who are just starting out in the work world or people who are senior in their careers, based on your vast experience?
1: <laughs> I uh, I would say for people who are just starting out. Um, imitation is a good thing so you know find your role models doesn't need to be women in particular but like can be men and women look to look to learn look to imitate look to apprentice Uh, and that's probably the best uh, the the best advice I can give having been in their shoes 20 years back Uh, because you learn from different styles and you learn from Learn the uh, the efficacy of different styles in different environments because there isn't like one pattern. It's you need a multitude of patterns to uh, succeed in, and it all depends on the kind of negotiation, the kind of environment. So that would be the uh, advice I would have for pe- people who are just starting out, and the, for the people who are uh, in there for for a for a bit or for a while. I would uh, ask and urge that they pay pay it forward, right? So uh, there's an opportunity here to help the next generation have a hopefully slightly uh, or dramatically different and easier experience than many of us have. And that's the opportunity here as I see it, not everybody needs to have the same struggles that we might have had getting here. Uh, And so let's help the next generation get there in much bigger, larger numbers than than our generation could.
0: That's nice, yeah. And I noticed um, you mentioned that unfortunately from the research it showed that some of these organizations did not have those kinds of opportunities for people to have mentors and so on. So yeah, so I'd also add on to what you're saying that just encourage people to look wherever. Right. And so you mentioned a lot about networks and I was going to say something about network too, is that I know from my own experience as well, everything happens through networking. You, nothing happens like, I mean, not for me anyway, cold, right? Just, it's very hard to do that. So continue to network, continue to negotiate, whatever it is. And, you know, people said to me way back, they said, you know, don't, don't ask for things, but offer things. Right. So I remember, I remember that just sort of stuck in my head. And I always, felt, um, and I noticed how people were with me as well. So I felt that I always had to offer something, right? So I would really do a lot. And eventually, you know, really does pay off. You may think that people are not noticing or whatever it is, but there's something, and you know, you never know what's going to happen in any conversation, because I know I've had talking to people, just somebody I've known, and I've had lunch every few times a year or something. And one day she said, so what are you up to? And I just mentioned some things I'm up to. And she said, okay. And before I knew she said, send me a proposal. And that wasn't my intention at all, right? In that conversation, I was just being me and she was being her and we just had a friendship. We had commonality. We had both lived in Japan together at some point. So it was just interesting that um, you always are managing your networks and always are managing to use negotiation skills even if it's not a conscious effort. So I say consciously we should prepare, but then when you're in it, sort of lower the bar and just say, it's just a conversation. It's me getting to know and being in relationship with somebody else.
1: That's very well said. And really the world operates on who do you know, who knows you and who do they know, right? So uh, in some way it's a n n equal to N minus one kind of a structure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, can you get connected to people that then know people and that's how you know people. And finding ways to be genuinely curious to get to know people for who they are as individuals. You don't need to uh, have an ask of them. Uh, It it can just be um, just getting to know your agenda, getting to know what you do for a living, getting to understand how, if ever, I can be helpful to you, to your point of what can I offer.
0: Right, and Uh, then then on the opposite side of that, I remember that I was talking to my husband at the time, and. And he said, well, what did you ask? And I said, well, I didn't ask, like, why else am I there? You know, like in those kind of situations where a potential client calls me in and we're talking and I'm presenting, whatever it is. And if you don't make the ask, you know, then they think, well, I think, well, why would I be there? But that was something else. I think that was very gender influenced that we're all understanding why I'm here, but I didn't advocate for myself in some of those situations. So that was a big learning for me, knowing when to just schmooze, and yeah. then when to actually make the formal ask. So all training and preparation. You really do learn from experience, right? Hopefully. <laughs> you do, you do. And you recognize, you
1: know, not everybody is a mind reader. So you got to verbalize your thoughts at times and uh, frame, frame uh, more directly on how you can be helpful and leave it at that and see if the other person needs, needs or ever needs your
0: help, they will know where to reach you. That's right. Well, Gayachi, thank you so much for your time. Hello, so I just wanted to follow up on the wonderful conversation I just had with Gayatri Chennai and she made so many wonderful points, and she was so clear in her speaking how she numbered these one, two, three, and so on. Well, there are two points I'd like to revisit and show how some of what she said is also present in my book, New Story, New Power, A Woman's Guide to Negotiation. One point she made was about mindset and how mindset is very important. And I totally agree is that if we think we can't do something, then we are holding ourselves back from being able to do whatever it is we want to set out to achieve. So being able to have the right mindset or the mindset that is conducive. To women negotiating and being a, an effective negotiator, negotiating effectively for what they want is very critical. And so there are different activities that I go through in the book about ways in which you can identify what your strengths are, what are some of the challenges you're facing, where do these come from, why do we perceive them as challenges? Because one thing is that even if it's not true from other people's perspectives, but it's something that you believe you have a certain characteristic or trait that you think is part of who you are, then that's going to influence how you enter into a negotiation and affect your mindset. So positive mindset is always good. The other thing she mentioned that I want to highlight is talking about meeting with other people, either mentors or advocates and so on, and maybe preparing for a negotiation with them saying, okay, let's do a little bit of a role play. Uh, What else do you think somebody might do? How else Might somebody respond? How can I respond also in that moment? And it's something that I frame as scenario planning in preparation. And so part of the prep process for negotiation is to think about, okay, I'm going to ask for X. And then this other person could say A, B, C, D. We don't know exactly what the response will be, but based on past negotiations with this person or just understanding the person or understanding the context of what you're asking for in that particular situation, you can anticipate to some degree what some of the responses might be. So then you say, okay, if I say X and this person says A, then I will respond this way. If I say X and the person says B, then I will respond this way. So by going through a couple of those likely scenarios, you are preparing yourself for not being a deer in the headlights during the negotiation. That during that negotiation time, you can still pause, maintain your pace, slow it down if you need more time to think, but you won't be caught off guard because you will have gone through some of the scenarios. And of course, if there is a scenario that pops up that you have not planned for, then you have a question ready to ask at that moment so you can slow down the process and regain your composure and then continue on in the negotiation. So thank you. Please send some comments in. I look forward to engaging in further conversations with you and exploring negotiation further. Bye now. And that's our show. New Story, New Power is produced by Digitalistic Media. Beth Fisher Yoshida, our host, is also our executive producer. Digital production by Francine Molina. Our theme music is by Hermona. Special thanks to Ashley Hart. We'll be back with a brand new episode next month.